Mark chapter 7 in your Bibles. As we continue in this episode of Jesus' encounter with an anonymous Gentile mother whose daughter was possessed by a demon, let us, brothers and sisters, review what has happened up to this point in the story by reading, read along silently with me, Mark 7, beginning at verse 24, okay? Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He, encountered a, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. And she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So Jesus and the disciples are visiting the region of Tyre when this desperate mother comes begging him to deliver her daughter from demon possession. And that's where we left off last Sunday was with this mother begging Jesus to heal her daughter, begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And, and I believe I left us uh, with some sequence of thoughts on this point. What does it take to get us to the point where we have no inhibitions about begging Jesus. How desperate does it have to get? How bad does it have to get? What has to happen to get us to the point of humility where we will beg the Lord? Now, Think about this for a moment. I'm not talking about begging some other human, mere human being. I'm begging the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it take? Well, now, of course, in this mother's case, her situation is dire. And this crisis hits at the heart of her family, as we saw last week, with her daughter being possessed by an evil spirit. And so she's desperate and no doubt has exhausted every other possibility or probability or avenue. But in any case, she's serious. She's desperate and she will not be deterred. See, what, what I just, it just begs the question of us when we read this. What does it take? to get us to the place where this mother is. Does it, does it have to be severe? Does it have to be dire? Does it have to be, does it have to be off the charts that bad? <laughs> I mean, in the comfortable and complacent culture in which we all live, 
This question is apropos for all of us. This woman has the faith to know that Jesus is able to expel the demon from her child and she would not be deterred, as I already said, from getting to Jesus. Will Jesus, though, help her child? Even though she is a Gentile and considered unacceptable, defiled, remember that word in the last episode, even though she is a Gentile and considered un unacceptable or defiled by many Jews, will Jesus help her child? Will he help her? Well, his Jewish male disciples wanted to get rid of her. But how Jesus would respond, how would Jesus respond to her plea? Well, verse 27 tells us. In verse 27, Jesus gives what I would call a surprising response to the woman. Surprising may be an understatement. Verse 27, she's begging Jesus to deliver her, the, her daughter from the demon. Jesus answered, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Wait, what? What did he say? This is one of the most surprising statements ever. Let me read it again. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. We normally would expect Jesus to respond with compassion to a desperate mother. But his reaction to this woman is surprising. Not only surprising, it is even shocking. And it begs the question. It begs a question. Was Jesus prejudiced? Was he prejudiced toward this Gentile woman? What is this? What is happening here? First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Yes, you heard right. He said dogs to her. And he didn't stutter. He didn't miss words. And the modern mind, the modern reader looking at this ought to be shocked by it. By the way, we're not the only ones who ought to be shocked by it. There's another account of this episode, this same episode, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, where Matthew offers some additional details that Mark leaves out in his account. After this Gentile woman approached Jesus with her plea, 
Matthew 15, verses 23 to 26 says this. Jesus did not answer a word. So you get a little more fuller understanding of what's going on here. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I will sit only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So not only did Peter hear this and witness it, uh, see it as an eyewitness, Matthew also was there on the scene, saw this up close and in person. He witnessed it in person. He's an eyewitness. So yes, not only, remember, Peter, <clears throat> Mark is writing this account from Peter. He's, he's, he's writing all of this down from the apostle Peter, obviously, decades after these events. Matthew was there along with Peter. They both say the same thing. They both quote what Jesus said to her in his reply. Now, in verse 24 of Matthew 15, he, when he first answers, it appears as though he's answering the disciples who want to send her away. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Whether he was saying it to them or to her, he was saying it in all of their hearing, evidently. This is astonishing. What is Jesus saying? So at first here, according to Matthew's account, Jesus did not answer the woman. However, she was persistent and kept pleading for his divine help. When his disciples had enough of her calling out to him, they wanted Jesus to get rid of her. But then Jesus finally responded to her in a most unexpected way as we are seeing. Is Jesus prejudiced? Yes, it begs the question. So let's see, as we walk together through this further, what happens? Not only in terms of his words, but also in terms of his deeds, you see. He appeals to Jewish priority by telling her he was sent to bring salvation only to Israel. But the woman was undeterred. She kept asking for his divine intervention. Then Jesus uttered an old Jewish trope that stereotyped Gentiles in the worst way. The children's food should not be given to dogs. Was Jesus calling this woman and all Gentiles dogs? Wow. Why would he do this? Keep in mind that his disciples are witnessing all of it. 
We know they're witnessing it because not only Matthew, but Mark, through Peter, tells us what he said. Matthew and Mark say the same thing in quoting Jesus. Even though Matthew gives a few more details about what happened in this scenario. These are eyewitness accounts. So the disciples are witnessing this. Jesus' reaction to this woman has confounded many people for a long time. Why does he speak to her in this way? Dr. David Garland writes, and I quote, This scene upsets our sense of justice. We also cannot understand why Jesus does not respond more sensitively to this Gentile's cry for help. She cannot help that she was born a Gentile, lives in the region of Tyre, and is culturally Greek. We do not mind Jesus being rude to Pharisees and Sadducees whom we believe deserve it, but it is not like him to be rude to a forlorn mother, end quote. Some interpreters of this encounter have attempted to sanitize and smooth over Jesus' response to the Gentile woman. But we should not try to smooth over this. Jesus had a reason for the way he responded. As I just mentioned, Jesus used an old Jewish trope often spoken against Gentiles that referred to Gentiles as dogs. This is an ancient version. What's going on here is an ancient version of what we might refer to today as prejudice or even racism. Jesus is both testing and teaching at the same time. Stay with me now. Jesus is both testing and teaching at the same time. He tested her faith while teaching his disciples. Now, listen. Jesus not only taught the disciples how to be, but there are plenty of examples that Jesus uses as teachable moments for the disciples for them to learn how not to be. You see, discipleship uh, in that sense is both positive and negative, teaching how to be on the one hand and how not to be on the other hand. So he's testing her faith while teaching his disciples. It was already clear to Jesus that she earnestly believed that he could heal her demon-possessed daughter. Jesus already knew that. Not only that, he knew he was able and is able to deliver that child from her demon. His reaction to her highlighted the persistence of her faith in him while also exposing the worthlessness of old Jewish attitudes toward Gentiles. 
He did this so that his disciples could learn that the gospel of the kingdom of God is for everyone, not only the Jews. Now, you have to understand that this is radical. This is a radical reorientation for these Jewish men and women who were followers of Jesus. Because all their existence, what they have been taught and led to believe is that salvation is for the Jews only. And somehow, maybe a few Gentiles along the way, you know, as sprinkled through the Old Testament, if you will. But that attitude poisoned and metastasized over the course of centuries by those who misread or misunderstood Scripture, that attitude deteriorated into a, a, a foul prejudice. Yes, what we would call racism in the modern context, a prejudice that, that they all grew up with and that they all had that they all had to deal with. <laughs> so not only is he highlighting the persistence of her faith, but the persistence of her faith in the face of worthless old Jewish attitudes toward Gentiles. So when we say she would not be deterred, you understand, she would not be deterred. Even by this, by the way, let me put a pen right there for a moment. Let's do a quick footnote to this by way of, of application. Just so that God gives our congregation the wisdom and the maturity to understand what we live in the middle of in this present age. Speaking of prejudice and race in America. She would not be deterred getting to Jesus. Now, I can think of, okay, millions, maybe, I'm being anecdotal here, millions of black people in this country over decades, and de in fact, centuries, who would populate white churches and come to Jesus, even though they knew many of the white people in those congregations were racist and prejudiced. Going all the way back to slavery. Matter of fact, the reason the black church in America exists is because, precisely because of this sin. Precisely because of this racism. The slaves who were converted, wanted to worship in the same places, in the same building, in the church. For a time, in many areas, they were allowed to do so. Some were relegated to the balcony. They had to stay up there if the building had a balcony. Others were relegated to a place, often that would have been located down somewhere near the front of the pulpit like an orchestra, like a pit. You know, like a conductor is in in an orchestra, down in a pit 
situated in such a way that the white parishioners couldn't necessarily see them, but they could see the preacher and the preacher could see them. As I understand it, there may still be a few buildings like this in the state of Alabama. Well, one might say, well, why in the world? Some young radical minds or activist minds today might say, well, why would they go in the first place? Because they're trying to get to Jesus. Even through the stench of white supremacy, bigotry, racism, and hatred, even through the hypocrisy of people who said they loved Jesus, but who then hated them. Now, <clears throat> are those some of the most extreme examples in American history? Yes. And they lasted not for years, but for decades or centuries during slavery. Ah, but after slavery was abolished, the war was fought, the North won, the South lost. The prejudice went nowhere. It hasn't gone anywhere to this very day. We have now come to find out in the last seven or eight years in illustrious fashion. Ah, but how many countless families of black people have walked through the doors of predominantly white churches knowing full well that not everybody in the church might feel racism and prejudice toward them, but more than enough people in the church. And they keep coming anyway. They kept coming anyway. They continued to come anyway in defiance of the attitudes that they knew persisted within that congregation or within those congregations. People looking at you with smiles and with welcome arms and then other people standoffish and looking at you as if to say, what are you doing here? And the people who are members of that congregation, they don't recognize it nor notice it. They, they just going about their business doing their thing. And yet countless black families have experienced this. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the average black family can discern immediately and almost instantly who's who. Yet they kept coming. And still keep coming in many cases. You know, recently, uh, about four or five years ago, uh, the Washington Post, I believe it was, wrote a lengthy article on the exodus of black members from predominantly white evangelical congregations over the issue of racism and all the regurgitated racism that Trump has helped to revive in this country. And the resurgence of these old attitudes of Jim Crow and there's this exodus of black people out of many white evangelical congregations because of it. I don't know what has taken place since then, 
but I know there was a, a lengthy and significant article written about it. You see, what I'm wanting to do this morning is make sure you get the point and make the connection of what is taking place here between Jesus, these disciples, and this woman who will not be deterred. And by the way, that is my word of encouragement to all. Get to Jesus no matter who tries to stand in your way. No matter who doesn't like you, whether because of the color of your skin or because of God knows whatever else, because humans can manufacture all kinds of reasons to hate one another. And in America, you see, we, we've had a particularly sinister problem with this historically, and we all know it. Perhaps if we preach the word of God and apply the word of God more to these things, there would be more conviction and more repentance in the pulpits of this country. So, Jesus was essentially quoting Jewish attitudes in his initial response to the woman. Attitudes and prejudices that the disciples would have grown up learning. These attitudes were exposed in Matthew 15, 23 by the fact that they wanted to get rid of her. But Jesus saw this as a teachable moment for these disciples. The woman responds to Jesus with quick wit in verse 28. <laughs> Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Woo, what you say. <laughs> Man, I wish I could be that quick-witted. I'm telling you. Look at her. She doesn't miss a beat in responding to him. You know, some of you are good at quick comebacks. And some of us are terrible at them. <laughs> you know, just... Sometimes I wish I had a quick comeback and, you know, it's just nothing there. I'm just blank for about 10 seconds sometimes. Just blank. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's the Lord telling me, you need to shut up. Don't say nothing. Just be quiet. <laughs> and then when I do come up with something, the, the scenario is over. <laughs> oh, my. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She was not offended nor dissuaded by his initial response. She accepts the premise that children should eat before the pet animals get anything. Now, you know we would all agree with this. <laughs> In a domestic home context, you don't feed the... Well, maybe some people do. <laughs> you know, some people love their pets so much, okay, <laughs> I mean, you know, they love, they love their pets, man. Oh, listen, I mean, pet lovers, and I'm so, I'm, I, I'm amused by pet lovers. I mean, I grew up with pets, you know. Um, I grew up with horses and cows and chickens and dogs and cats. and <laughs> So I grew up with pets. I understand, I know something about pet lovers and names for all of them, you know, even names for the chickens. <laughs> So I understand pet lovers. Um, 
So yes, of course, you would feed your children. Your children take priority over the pets. She knew how to respond to Jesus' riddle. Even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, Lord. She immediately understood what Jesus was doing. She gets it. She gets it. Again, David Garland comments, and I quote, this clever woman catches the meaning of Jesus' riddle immediately. Most of Jesus' listeners in Mark's gospel do not comprehend his riddles without some explanation. She gets it. They don't get it. <laughs> and Peter is telling Mark this. And Matthew has written about it in his account after they got it. But much of this, most of this, or perhaps all of this, they didn't get until the Holy Spirit came and illuminated their understanding. This woman gets it already. But she's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. She's a Gentile. She was not raised with all of the, you know, all of the religious knowledge that a Jewish person would have been raised with. She wasn't raised with any of that, yet she gets it, and they don't in this situation. Oh, we have a lot we can learn from them. She understands that children in Jesus' riddle represents Israel and dogs represents Gentiles. She even understands that. This may not be the first time she's been referred to as a dog or put in that category with dogs. <laughs> Again, Jews thought of themselves as God's children and Gentiles as outsiders, which some would have referred to as dogs. The rabbis did. In the rabbinic writings, you'll find this on occasion. Reference to the Gentiles, non-Jews as dogs. And it is true, it is true that God chose ancient Israel as his children in the Old Testament through whom he would bless the whole world. That's the Abrahamic covenant, the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And through you, God speaks to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That third part of the Abrahamic covenant is what so many missed. Through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed not just Abraham's descendants. They missed that part. They had completely misunderstood God's ultimate purpose to bless all peoples through their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus' interaction with this Gentile woman was teaching the disciples these important truths about the kingdom of God. This woman gets it, even while the disciples and others did not immediately get it. This is a surprising reversal because those who were insiders 
struggled to understand while some who were outsiders understood immediately and believed Jesus. Remember we talked about this back in, you know, in chapters 5 and 6 of the Gospel of Mark when we walked through there, you know, the insiders versus the outsiders and the reversal of roles, you know, those who would have been expected to have no clue get it. Those who would have been expected to have a clue don't have a clue at all, it seems. So in this scenario, the insiders are struggling and this one outsider, she's not struggling except to get to Jesus. <laughs> and she's not deterred nor intimidated by the 12 of them and whoever else who wants to get rid of her. Verse 29 gives Jesus' final response to the woman. The scripture says, and he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Was Jesus prejudiced? Absolutely not. Were his disciples prejudiced? Yes, they were. Did this teach them something? Yes, he did. Does it teach us something? Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus highlighted and rewarded her faith by healing her demon-possessed daughter without even seeing the girl in person. He never went there. He never went to see the child. You would have expected him to say, well, where is she? Take me to her. No, that wasn't necessary for him. He heals that child. He cures that child of the demon that is in the process of attempting to implode that child's life. And he didn't say anything audibly to the girl from a distance or to the demon. Did you notice that? He just said to her mother, for this statement, go. Your demon has left, the, the demon has left your daughter. Meaning, as my first pastor used to say many decades ago now, when I was a young Christian believer, he used to say, God does not have to lift a finger to do what he's going to do. He can just will it. And it will be done. God didn't have to get up and come off of his throne to do what he's going to do. He can just will it. That's who he is. That's how much power he has. Jesus just wills it and it's done. He doesn't go there. He doesn't say anything directly in this case. In other cases, he does, but not in this case. The only thing he says, he says to this mother. He 
He showed this humble mother the grace and mercy she was pleading for on behalf of her child. Hmm. Back to, well, back to her pleading. What does it take to get us to our place when it comes to Jesus? What does it take? I mean, listen. If we could ever just stop and take a moment to look at ourselves in the spiritual mirror, that the Lord would show us how desperately do you want God's grace? You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't achieve it. You have to receive it. But how much do you want it? When is the last time you begged God for anything? This morning? Yesterday? Last week? Last year? When's the last time? When is the last time you went to Jesus on your knees and just cried out to him, whether audibly or silently, just cried out to him? and begged him, if there's anybody worthy to be begged, it's the Lord. You know, we can become so prideful in this world in which we live and think we would never beg anybody that we forget that we won't beg the Lord either in our pride, in our pridefulness. She's not proud. She's not proud. She's humble. And she humbles herself under the mighty hand of the Lord, and the Lord blessed her. You know what? There is not anything that ails us in our lives that humility and calling on the Lord cannot heal. It's true. Jesus knows what's wrong with you, and Jesus knows what's wrong with yours. And Jesus not only knows how to fix you, how to cure you, or how to heal or fix the situation, he is the cure. He is the fix. <laughs> he is the resolution. He is the solution to your problems, whatever they are, even if you are your problem. He is the solution to you <laughs> and to me. He must increase, but I, me, myself, and I must decrease, John said, John the Baptist would say. <laughs> you know, in this self-absorbed narcissistic culture in which we live in each and every day, you know, everything has to be about me, myself, and I. When in reality, the only one 
who deserves to talk about me, myself, and I is God. No other me, myself, and I matters in the face of God and who he is. In other words, if you get out of yourself long enough and let God get in you, you'll be a lot better off than you are. Whoever you are, wherever you are. This woman does not let herself get in the way. She doesn't let her pride get in the way. She finds Jesus. Some way, somehow, by God's grace, she gets to Jesus. And she comes, and the Bible says, remember, she fell at his feet. And then he says to her, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the children are the ones who deserve the food first, not the dogs. Oh, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the, the table of the children. I'm not stopping. Because I know you can help me. I know that you can heal me. I know you are the only one who is able to do so. I know I know enough to know who you are. I may not know everything. I may not have grown up with everything that your disciples around you may have grown up with, but I know who you are. I know you are Jesus. I know you are able to heal my baby. I know you are able to help my daughter. And I'm here and I'm not leaving. I don't care what these men think about me. And I don't care what they say. I've heard all of that stuff before. I ain't going to stop living. I'm not going to stop breathing. And I'm not going to stop seeking you because of them and their issues. Verse 30 says her child was cured. She went home. This is what this is. This, this summarizes the episode right here. She went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. This mother's desperate appeal to Jesus led to her daughter's deliverance from the devil. The woman was not offended by Jesus' initial response because she knew Jesus was able to do what she was pleading for him to do. Her faith was not discouraged nor deterred. And Jesus would not allow, Jesus would not allow her race and gender to be a stumbling block to her blessing. Why? Because the gospel of the kingdom of God is for all peoples. Because God created all people and offers salvation to all without prejudice. Salvation is available to all. 
since God created all, and since all have become sinners who were born in Adam, all are sinners. The gospel is for all. God's grace has been extended to all. Whether all receive it or not, God's grace has been extended to all. We know all won't receive it, but, but God's grace is extended to all. Jesus has the power to save all who will repent and trust him in the gospel. And there is no one who has ever called on the name of the Lord who did not get an answer. She called on the Lord and she got an answer. If you called on him, you know, some people don't want to call on the Lord because they know they'll get an answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which begs the question, why don't they want to call on him? So instead, you know what they do. Instead of calling on him, they flee and run and hide. Like our first parents did when they sinned. Remember? Adam and Eve hiding among the trees of the garden after God came seeking them. And remember what we said about this as I come to a close. The whole reason this encounter took place was because Jesus went out of his way and out of his home country to Tyre, to the region of Tyre, to her region. Thus making it possible for her to encounter him. Yeah, you see, God came to her before she came to him, actually. <laughs> he was there for her to run to and beg for his grace and his salvation, for her and for her child, you see. It's truly an amazing story. It's truly an amazing and profound episode when you think about it and unpack it. And it gives us, in these actions of Jesus and of this woman and the attitudes of the disciples, so much not only to think about, but to learn from and to correct our lives in places where we know we are like these disciples or we can be like these disciples. And the attitudes that, well, Jesus actually is exposing in these words. He's, he's using these words to expose these prejudiced attitudes so that his disciples can learn how not to be and what attitudes not to have toward people who don't look like them, toward Gentiles, toward someone of another race. Mm. Yes, it's true. It's true. <clears throat> and we thank God for the privilege and the blessing of being able to learn. You know what? Jesus hears. Jesus sees. And Jesus cares about what we're going through. By the time he responds to this mother, he does what only he could do. <clears throat> While medicine 
can help with many things, and we should use it. There are some things that only God can fix. And when it comes to the spiritual matters like this, this is a God problem. Now may God give us, like the Lord Jesus tried to teach the disciples here, God, may God give us the wisdom to know the difference. Because when medicine does all it can, that's what Jesus can pick up. Dr. Jesus can do what medicine can't. Do you believe it? Do you believe him? That's the question for us today. This woman believed. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you so much for what you teach us through this episode, through this encounter that you had with this woman, whom we know is ever in your presence, singing your praises for eternity, for what you did for her and for her child on that fateful day. When you came to her so that she could find you. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us so that by your grace we could find you. Thank you, O oh God, for reminding us that you are able to do that which is impossible with humans. Thank you, O oh God, that you are able to go with inside the heart, the soul, the mind, the spirit of a human being and chase away every demon that you have the power and the authority to overcome the demonic spirits that attempt to destroy and implode our lives, O oh God, and destroy us from the inside out, and destroy our children, and destroy our families, O oh God. Thank you in the name of Jesus, Father, the mighty name of Jesus, that there is power to overcome even the demonic. So may every demon be gone from the hearts and the minds, O oh God, of our children who are suffering and struggling, O oh God, especially in this day, in this time, and in this place in which we live. Every day, O oh God, people are doing crazy. And we pray every day that by the power of the name of Jesus, that one by one by one by one, children will be delivered from the clutches of the devil, just like you delivered this child. And you didn't even have to go to her bedside. Thank you, O oh God for reminding us of what you are able to do if we only trust you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, we thank you, and we worship today. We continue in worship. Amen and amen. Let the church say amen.